In the early 1500s, a Catholic monk named Martin Luther changed the world. And that's not an overstatement. Martin Luther, he unleashed what's known as the Protestant Reformation. See, at that time, the Catholic Church was filled with all kinds of corrupt teaching, but there was a problem. Most people didn't have the Bible. And if they did have it, it wasn't in a language they could understand. And so Luther, he translated the Bible into German and devoted his life to studying and obeying and teaching the truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of Martin Luther, that good news, that faith in Jesus alone saves us, has spread throughout the whole world. And so I'm guessing that most of you listening to this are fairly familiar, uh, familiar with Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, but perhaps you're a little bit less familiar with Ezra the scribe and the post-exilic Reformation. You see, the post-exilic, that means just post-exile or after the exile. And it's what Ezra the scribe led. And these two reformations, they have a lot in common. Both were reformations that rebuilt the people of God around the word of God. And so we've been in this series looking at this life after exile. This series called From Ruins to Restoration. How God's going to restore the people after the devastation of exile in Babylon. And I told you in the first sermon in this series that there are basically three parts to this story. Three leaders and three restoration projects. So Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah are the leaders. And the three projects all begin with the letter W. Worship, word, and the wall. So Zerubbabel restores the temple, that's worship. Ezra is restoring the people around the word, that's word. And we're going to get to Nehemiah who rebuilds the wall of Jerusalem. So we've just finished part one. Zerubbabel and the people have finished rebuilding the temple and have restored the worship of the people. They overcame the discouragement of the people around them by the powerful encouragement of the ministry of Haggai and Zechariah. That's what we looked at last week. And today we're looking at Ezra chapters 7 and 8, where we finally get to the leader who is the namesake of this book, Ezra the scribe. And we have to you need to realize that much time has passed since the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra chapter 7 tells us that we are in the seventh year of the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, which we know is 458 BC. So that's close to 60 years since the temple project was finished. Now, having the temple complete was, was very important, as we've discussed in the past couple sermons. But however, the, the people had a temple before they were sent into exile. And why were the people sent into exile? It wasn't because they lacked worship or they lacked a temple or they lacked the right sacrifices. No, the prophets made it clear that the reason that they were in exile is, be, is because God had sent them there because they disobeyed the word of God. They broke the covenant they made with God. And so if this next generation is going to avoid exile in the future, which they are very motivated to do, it's going to take more than a return to worship. It is going to take a complete reformation around God's word. And so Ezra, like Martin Luther, who did 2,000 years later, he's going to lead a reformation around the word of God. 
And so there is much for us to learn from Ezra's life and example. How can we see our lives and our families and our churches and our communities transformed? I submit to you that this morning, we can see that happen if we were to rebuild and reform our lives around God's word in the way that Ezra the scribe does in our text this morning. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ezra uh, chapter 7, and it, it opens up with a bunch of names, and basically this genealogy, this establishes Ezra's authority as a priest. We learn that he is the direct descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother, and Aaron was the first high priest, the chief priest. So Ezra comes up from Babylon back to Jerusalem, and we know that God is about to do something. The story says that God's gracious hand was upon Ezra. We know that a reformation is about to begin. And verse 9 through 10 in chapter 7, this is the key to understanding everything that Ezra does in his life. It says, The gracious hand of his God was on him, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. This is basically a summary statement of Ezra's life mission. And it's going to inform everything that he's going to do. And from this text, these, these couple verses, we're just going to hone, it, hone in on these two. We can learn three ways that we can rebuild around the Word of God. So number one is this. Ezra devoted himself to studying God's Word. Ezra devoted himself to studying God's Word. He devoted himself to studying it, obeying it, and teaching it. Now, reformation must begin from a place of devotion, a heart that is set on fire. In fact, this, word, this phrase, devoted himself, in the Hebrew, Hebrew, it means to set his heart on. Heart being his total being. That means his, his mind, his emotions, his will, his energy, his focus. His heart was set on studying God's word and obeying it and teaching it. But Ezra first begins where we all should begin, and that's the place of study. If we want to see God's work and his kingdom expand, we should know who this God is, what he is like, what he desires, what he commands and expects from us, and what pleases him. And we learn these things through study. Now, the word study means to seek with care, to investigate carefully. So if you want to profit from reading the Bible, you have to carefully search through it and investigate and examine it. And Martin Luther was probably one of the best examples of someone who did this. And I like what he says. He says, For some years now, I have read through the Bible twice every year. If you picture the Bible to be, to be a mighty tree and every word a little branch, I have shaken every one of those branches because I wanted to know what it was and what it meant. Don't you love that image that the Bible is a tree climbing every branch, shaking each branch, looking at the twigs and the leaves? That's what Martin Luther did, a careful search through the Bible. You know, I came across that quote a few months ago, and it has personally changed my own time in God's Word. It's caused me to go slower, not just to read through it, to, to read through it, but to, to carefully examine. In fact, I ended up buying a journal Bible which has like uh, lines down the, the side columns. And that allows me to write notes and to, to 
underline things. There's so much space. I can kind of pause and, and, and take it all in. It helps me to carefully examine the Scriptures. And a group of Jews from, Ber- from Berea had this same habit. In fact, Acts chapter 17, verse 11 says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message, the gospel, with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The Bereans, they received the message of the gospel with great eagerness and they examined the word. And I love it says they received the gospel, they received the message with great eagerness. I mean, that's a model for us, isn't it? Are you eager to dig into God's word and to learn the truth of his word? I think often we don't find ourselves eager because we need to be reminded how valuable the Word of God is. Psalm 19, which we did for our call to worship this morning, tells us that the Word of God refreshes our souls. It makes us wise. The Word of God is perfect. It's trustworthy. It's right. It's radiant. It gives joy to our heart. In fact, the children's sermon reminded us last week that the Word of God, it's, it's a lamp to our ways. It's the sword of the Spirit to fight the lies of the enemy. It's food for our souls. It's fire that burns away sin. It's more beautiful than gold. It's sweeter than honey. Those are all wonderful things, but let me try to bring this down to real life for us this morning. The Bible, the Word of God, is more valuable than any post that you could read on social media, or scroll with with your phone. The Bible is better for you than any TV program that you could watch or any book that you could read. The Bible will make you wiser than any podcast, than any blog, than any class you might take. The Bible will refresh your soul and give joy to your heart. Has your soul needed refreshing lately? Has your heart needed some joy? Have you needed wisdom for something that you are facing? The Bible can give us all these things. You know, typically our problem is not that we are ignorant of how important studying God's word is, but we just truly haven't grasped the value, the treasure that the word of God is. So, oh Christian, turn again to the word of God. Set your heart on studying it your whole life long. Always be a student of the word and pray that God would open your eyes to see how valuable his word is. And through Ezra's study, because he valued the word, he, it says in, in chapter 7, verse 6, he was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses. It just means that he was a skilled teacher. He grasped it. And Ezra did not get to be this way on accident. No, he devoted himself to study. And it produced fruit. It led to greater skill in handling the word of God. And some of you this morning, you may be totally overwhelmed with how big the Bible is, with how foreign it is, how old it is. It's a different culture. It's written to a different time. Uh, It can be very confusing. Or maybe you're overwhelmed by how little you know compared to other people that you've seen. But friends, no matter where you begin, we can all make progress if we devote ourselves to study. Studying God's word, it's not just for pastors. It's not just for scholars and teachers. Every Christian should be a student of the word of God. Now, some of you, on the other hand, you're not overwhelmed, but you are underwhelmed. You're underwhelmed. You've grown up in the church. 
You've heard the stories before, and so the Word of God, has, it doesn't draw you. It doesn't excite you. Uh, you're bored with it. And I, again, I, I, I commend to you the words from Martin Luther. And this is, ap- this is after he became a doctor in theology. He says, For 28 years, I have now constantly read and preached the Bible, yet I have not exhausted it, but find something new in it every day. You should diligently learn the word of God and by no means imagine that you know it. The devil is a greater rascal than you think he is. His definite design is to get you tired of the word and in this way to draw you away from it. Martin Luther says, if you find yourselves being drawn away from the word, you can be sure the devil is at work. The enemy is at work drawing us away from the life-giving power of the word of God. And so if you find yourself underwhelmed by the, by the scriptures, pray for God to change your heart. Don't let the enemy draw you away from the word of God. But whether you are overwhelmed or underwhelmed by the word of God, the call is the same. Become a devoted student of God's holy word. If we want to see renewal and reformation in the church and in our lives, we need to be like Ezra, devoting ourselves to the study of God's word. Day by day, one stone upon another, one day at a time, you can become well-versed as a student of the word of God. So that's number one. Ezra devoted himself to studying God's word. Number two, Ezra devoted himself to obeying God's word. To obeying God's word. After studying the word, Ezra devoted himself to obeying it. And the NIV says he observed, and this is a Hebrew word to, to carry out or perform an action. It simply means to do, to do it. We are to do what the word of God says. I mean, this was precisely the problem that God's people had before they went into exile. They did not do what God commanded. They broke the covenant that God made with them. Even though over and over again, the Old Testament talked about the need for the people to obey the word of God and God's ways. I'll just give you one example from Deuteronomy 5. Be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are not to turn aside to the right or to the left. Follow the whole instruction the Lord your God has commanded you. Don't turn aside at all. Follow it all the way. Be careful to obey. Be careful to do. God has always wanted obedience. And I think if we had to pick one, it's way more important to obey than to know, than to have knowledge. I mean, you can know the whole Bible from from front to back, but not obey an ounce of it. You can do Bible study for years, but not practice what you learn. And that that is a travesty. However, the hope in the goal is that there is a connection between the two a connection between studying and doing. And that's what Ezra did. He connected them. He devoted himself to study. He devoted to doing what he had learned in his study. And before Ezra, this is exactly what Joshua did. Joshua instructed, he said, this this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. 
Joshua was instructed, meditate on the word. Chew on the word morning and evening. So what? So that you can carefully observe. So that you can do what it says. Be familiar with everything in the word of God and let it renew and reshape your thinking so that you can observe the commands of God. The New Testament says the same thing. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Listen to it, hear it, study it. But if that does not lead to action, you are self-deceived, James says. You see, religious activity, including reading the Bible, going to church, listening to sermons, that does not make one saved. That does not make one a Christian. That you can be so deceived into thinking that all is well. But see, obedience is the evidence that you are truly a born-again believer, one who obeys the word of God. In fact, Jesus said this himself. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Did you catch that? Hear the word of God and act on the word of God. So from Genesis to Revelation, obedience is what God expects from his people. To know the word of God and to put it into practice. And this was the people's problem before the exile. They had corporate worship without obedience. They had knowledge without practice. They had study without doing. And don't we often have the same problem today? You know, it's been said of the church that the church today is far educated beyond her level of obedience. I think that's true. And, and Francis Chan gave us an illustration similar to this. I mean, he said, you know, imagine if, if, if you were a parent and, and you told your kids, go clean your room. Now, you don't hope that your kids come back to you and say, you know, well, mom and dad, I, I didn't clean my room yet, but I thought really hard about what you said. In fact, I memorized what you said. You told me to go clean your room. You know, I didn't clean my room, mom and dad, but I listened to a really great sermon on it. Oh, there were so many good points in this sermon. Uh, the sermon talked about why cleaning your room is so important. And you know what? All of my small, my small group of friends, we got together and we studied what it might look like if we all started cleaning our rooms. Oh, it was thrilling. We learned about the, the Greco-Roman background of how they used to clean rooms 2,000 years ago. Uh, and we learned, we learned that the Greek word for clean means to clean. It means to organize things and put them away. Can you believe it? See, that's not actually too far off from how it is with many Christians in our world today. Of course, study is important. I just told you that. But it is foolishness and silly if we do all this study and we don't do anything with it, if we don't live it and practice it. It's like learning about exercise but never actually exercising. It's foolish. If we know the, import, the importance of prayer but we don't pray, it's foolish. If we know the importance of making disciples and sharing our faith but we don't do it, we are foolish. If we know the importance of service and giving and caring for the poor and doing good deeds and living in community and we don't do it, we are foolish. You see, Ezra was not just a good Bible student. He devoted himself to doing it, to putting it into practice. 
And to sum up what I've said about this text, Johann Bengel says this, apply yourself wholly to the text and apply the text wholly to yourself. Put it into practice. That's number two. And finally, number three, Ezra devoted himself to teaching God's word, to teaching God's word. So this is the exact right order of things. Ezra studied the word so that he knew what it said. Then he committed to putting it into practice and now he is ready to teach others. Not that we have to be perfect at it before we teach others, but that is typically the right order. And Martin Luther did the exact same thing. He lived a life of study and obedience to the word of God. And then he preached and he taught and he studied and he wrote all kinds of books and tracts and pamphlets. And because of the printing press at that time, his teaching was disseminated to all kinds of people. And that's why the world was turned upside down. Because Martin Luther studied what he found in the word. And then he taught it to other people. Now, dear friends, you don't have to be a professional like Ezra or like Martin Luther to teach other people about the truth of God's word. And there's a tension here because the church has long, re- has long recognized the need uh, for, and we recognize in this covenant, in the covenant, for ordained leaders, ordained pastors who are trained, who we trust to handle the word of God on behalf of the community. But we also affirm that all believers are filled with the Holy Spirit and that there is a, a priesthood of all believers or even a teacherhood of all believers. In fact, the writer uh, of the book of Hebrews had a word of conviction to the early church that he was writing to. And it says this, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You see, there was and there is an expectation in the Christian faith that you ought to grow enough as a disciple of Jesus that you can teach others about him. You can teach others the truth of God's word. And there's an expectation that you will, yes, pass on your faith to somebody else to make a disciple. You see, inside every single Christian is the seed of a church. Because within you is the gospel of Jesus Christ and because you have the power to share that with somebody else and to make disciples. But the sad reality is, friends, is that people can go to church for decades and never make one disciple. People can go to church for decades and never really teach the people around them the truths that they have been learning and hearing their whole life. And we need to change that. We need to pray that God would give us a seeker or a younger or newer Christian that we could help mentor or disciple. We need to do what Ezra did, to study, obey, but not leave it at obey. Go on to the next step, teach others. Jesus had his 12. Paul had Timothy. Timothy had others. Moses had Joshua. Who do you have? Who are you teaching right now? Who's your Timothy? Who's your Joshua? See, most of you who are listening to this, you've gone to church for many years. Some of you maybe for decades And by this time, I say along with the writer of Hebrews that you ought to be teachers by this time. You ought to be disciple makers, mentors. And so I cordially and formally invite you to change the world by teaching others what you know about Jesus Christ and the Word of God.
because this is how the world has changed and how the church is reformed. One person at a time who hears the good news of Jesus and is taught how to live in the way of the kingdom. That's what Martin Luther did, and that's how Ezra did it. And, and one scholar sums up Ezra's impact in his life. It says, After the time of Ezra, the Judahites became a people who did worship Yahweh alone, who did abjure the making of images, who were careful about the way they used Yahweh's name, and who kept the Sabbath. In the New Testament, you never read of Jews failing to keep these basic expectations of Moses' teaching. Ezra made an impact. We can make the same impact in our day. How can we do it? By doing exactly what Ezra did, devoting yourself to studying God's word, to be a student of the word. And if you're going to study God's word, you need a plan. It usually doesn't happen haphazardly. But good news, friends, the church has a Bible reading plan that you can join. In fact, it's never been a better time to join than right now. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel. We're in the book of Romans. Uh, these are wonderful texts. Uh, we would love for you to be a part of our Bible reading plan and to be encouraged and held accountable for reading through God's Word throughout uh, each day and throughout the next couple years. So if you'd like to be part of our plan, you can fill that out in our Connect card or email the office and we'd get, we will get you connected to that plan. But you also, you might, you, you need a plan, but you also need some tools. I mentioned to you that I use a journal Bible. And that allows me to slow down and to examine the phrases and the words that stand out to me. You also might need a study Bible. Uh, many of you have mentioned to me that there are some hard texts, especially in the Old Testament. How do we make sense of this? A study Bible is a great tool. NIV has a good study Bible. NLT, Cultural Background Study Bible is a good one. And if you want to go a step further, like a meteor uh, tool that you might use is a Bible commentary. And the New Bible Commentary is one of the best one-volume commentaries that is available, so I recommend that to you. So we need to be a student of God's Word. Number two, we need to devote ourselves to obeying God's Word. And so I simply ask you this morning, maybe there's one area the Holy Spirit has highlighted. Is there something that you've been learning about? You've been learning about cleaning the room, but you haven't actually cleaned your room yet. Something you've been putting off an area of obedience that you've been avoiding. What is God calling you to, where is God calling you to obey him this morning? And finally, devote yourself to teaching God's word, to teaching everybody around you in the organic way of everyday life. But also I encourage you, find your Joshua, find your Timothy, find one person that you can pass on your faith. In fact, you may want to read the Bible plan. Ask somebody, hey, would you love to talk about what, what you're reading together so that we can talk about what you're learning in God's Word? That's one of the best ways that you can mentor somebody. It couldn't be easier than that. So friends, if we were to do these things, if we were to devote ourselves to studying God's Word, to obeying God's Word, and to teaching God's Word, we would change our church, we would change the world one person at a time. 